launched a new series today called The Way, and every couple years we like to spend three or four weeks kind of repackaging, re-announcing, I guess, uh, who we are, our history, and reminding everybody of that. And so that's what this series is all about. For some of you, this is going to sound very familiar. For others of you, you're going to be like, wow, I didn't know I was a part of something that was uh, so focused on uh, the, the mission or the way of Jesus. And, and so you're going to learn some things about that today. But you may not know but that Jesus' followers in the New Testament were often referred to as the way. Uh, but it was interesting that many times those followers, it was said by people who were opposed to the ways of Jesus. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 9, Saul was persecuting the way and wanted to take him to prison. In Acts chapter 19, some Jews in the synagogue opposed the way. And then later in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, a great disturbance rose over the way. And so when Jesus, his followers were referred to, oftentimes it was referred to as the way. Just do a quick Google search of those two words, a Bible search of the way in the Bible, and you're going to see it show up over 300 times in different expressions. But in the New Testament, in reference to Jesus and his followers, we're told to teach the way of Jesus, prepare the way for Jesus, know the way of Jesus, belong to the way of Jesus, and walk in the way of Jesus. And, and, and all of that makes sense because Jesus himself referred to uh, himself as the way. You remember in John chapter 14, verse 4 through 6, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so on that day, when Jesus walked on the sea of, by the Sea of Galilee and he invited Simon and Andrew and James and John and said, I want to invite you to follow me, he was inviting them out of their previous life, their past life, and he was inviting them to follow his way, the way of Jesus. And they dropped their nets and they followed him. And if you could do me a favor, guys, if you might bring up the house lights just a little bit because I'm afraid people might sleep in this hot weather today, all right? Now listen, in 2005, this is prior to the start of Access Church by a few years, I started to kind of really be disturbed a bit in my heart and spirit over the direction of churches, not just the church that I was a part of, but churches really in America, how maybe we were missing the mark when you compared the church that we were serving to the original church in the Bible. And so that led me to read a book called The Cell Church by a guy named Larry Stockstill. And the title is Preparing Your Church for the Coming Harvest. And he says that in 1992, he really felt that God was impressing on him this question. He said there are two things coming to America, harvest and hostility. Your church is not prepared for either one of them. And that question really was a probing question for me too, because I had to be honest and ask myself, was the church that I was serving, were we prepared for hostility? What, what that means is, if, there, if somehow we were shut down for a while, would we be able to still have church? In other words, how would we do it if there was a great hostility against the church? Not only that, how would we function if there was a great harvest, meaning if there were so many people that started to come, how would we ever facilitate all of that? And it began to really um, 
kind of motivate me to make some changes even in that ministry because we were so facility-centric and so event-driven. I mean, have you guys realized that in the church, so much of what has happened in the church is based on a place? It really is captured in the question, where did you go to church? So if you're going to talk to somebody and say, well, where do you go to church? What they mean is, what's the physical location of that place that you go to? Uh, another thing that we often think about is an event. Somewhere along the way, church became about an event captured in this question, how was church today? And we sort of evaluate it like we evaluate like the summer uh, in the park series concerts on the lawn or what have you. And you're like, well, that's pretty good. I like that song, didn't like that song. That was awesome. That wasn't great. And we, we have got to have a, the audacity to think that somehow we have the, evaluate, uh, the ability to evaluate experiences with God. And so I really started to ask myself back in those days, if Jesus were to lead a church, would it be about a place and would it be about an event? And I was leading a church experience where we were very focused on the place and on the event. I even remember during staff meeting, I used to tell our staff, guys, Sunday morning is the Super Bowl. We got to be ready every Sunday. It's the Super Bowl. And I look back on that, and I think, is that really the benchmark of a quality church? Is the, the quality of the experience on Sunday morning? Jesus wasn't really concerned about you having a good church experience or evaluating worship like it was a concert or about having the best building. He was interested in developing fully, fully devoted followers. In fact, one time he said that he was just looking for somebody who would come after him, deny himself, and follow Jesus and pick up his cross. That's far different than the image of the church that we're often given and, and so that is one of the reasons that in 2009, God laid on our heart to start a new church that would really move away from some of those, um, those things. In other words, let's not be about a place. Not, let's not be about an event. And, and in fact, we swung the pendulum so far that we downplayed the experience of the worship experience. And we had, uh, our worship was not awesome. We didn't have a full-time worship staff um, David remembers those days back, back then, and our drummer was so new that he had never even played drums before. He was 15 years old. He'd never played drums other than the video game rock band that he had played. It was not a good experience. Thankfully, we have swung the pendulum back a little, but uh, you know, we're, we're, we try to not overemphasize uh, the experience. We also de-emphasize the place. When we first started meeting, we met in a daycare center, and our, our kids' elementary program, literally, they were right behind the stage. Those were their rooms, so if they had to go out to go to the bathroom, they literally walked, as I'm teaching, right out the door and right into the bathroom. It was not the best place to start a church, and in fact, over the years, we've continued to downplay the place a bit, meaning that we... Um, we meet in a rented facility today. We've tried to really be as smart as possible with the resources that God has given us. We've tried to be as frugal as we can. And a lot of churches talk about the value of excellence because God deserves our best. And we sort of downplayed that as well. We often use the phrase, not excellence, we use the phrase good enough. We're like, yes, yeah, good enough. 
until one day we realized good enough wasn't really good enough, and we got a little better, okay? So we swung the pendulum back on that too, but here's what we realized, is that those underpinnings for us as a church have really defined who we are. Yes, we swung the pendulum away from the event and away from the place, but we swung it strongly toward building uh, disciples in relational environments. That was our main thing. It always has been. That we would be very intentional if we just asked the question, what kind of church would Jesus build? What kind of church would Jesus invest in? We just said, well, we need to do what Jesus did. We need to know what Jesus knew. And so how do you know the way of Jesus? You read about what he actually did in the New Testament. And that led me to a very personal time with the Lord in about 2009 and time to ask that question. Lord, what kind of church do you want? And I don't know about you, but that is very intimidating, but it's also very exciting to think about becoming that kind of a church. And so from the beginning of Axis, we wanted to recapture that. We haven't always gotten it right. We've prayed. We've worked hard at seeing this move of God happen again. We've asked, what did they believe in the early church? What did they do in the early church? What, would their, what was their mentality? What were their methodologies? And we tried to duplicate that. We made our number one priority that we would go make disciples. We realized that the church was never intended to be an event attended once a week or once a month. It was never a checklist. We, so we established community groups and places where people could gather and be together. And we would have a worship experience, but that worship experience would not be about being the best in our city or the best in our town. It would just be an authentic way to say, God, we're just gonna, we're gonna give our best and we're gonna try, but it's all for your glory. And we're not gonna worry about what anybody else is doing out there. And we're not gonna compete with anybody else. We're just gonna try to help people be disciples. And this has been consistent from the very beginning. In fact, I found an old flyer that we had and uh, I pulled it out and welcome Axis Church, and there's our logo. That's our old logo. It looks a bit like a spaceship, I know. But the idea of revolving the world around Jesus one life at a time, that's what we were trying to capture there. It's still on some old pins around here. Most of them don't work, but there's the logo. And there's your pastor and his wife on a yellow quad. You know, come follow Jesus and ride quads. I don't know what we were going for there, but there we are. And we're like 39. I'm like 39. She's like 30. Six, I think, and we are there on the quad, and, and uh, we're inviting people to join this. And here's what it says. I'm so glad that you've chosen to hear more about Axis Church. Axis is an amazing group of people dedicated to help families set new priorities, to get kids' lives built on a solid moral foundation, to help marriages heal and start well, to turn the cultural trend from self-focused to help the world revolve around God one life at a time. Our mission, threw it in there, bam. We believe that this is done best in authentic relationships. We want to help you explore faith in God and others, with others, experience God and authentic relationships, and express the love of God to the community through acts of intentional kindness. We believe that the world is changed for the good when people truly love God and others. We're a Christian community, which means we follow the teachings and example of Jesus found in the Bible. We like to laugh and have the right kind of fun. We're involved, though, in a revolution. We all realize that the culture is going down a terrible path, and for the sake of our generation and future generations, we want to help turn the trend the other direction. This is not an easy task, but one life at a time, one relationship at a time, one family at a time, one community at a time, we believe it can happen. 
what I'm saying is that we've been consistent from day one. We know who we are. We know what we're about. And we even have a list of events that we could have gone back to. A picnic in the park. We invited people. I remember that picnic. We had a few in this area. We invited friends. We had, uh, we had one of our preview services there. And then September 12th, we had a back-to-the-beach party. It was the worst event in the history of church, uh, new church plant events. We had all of us ready, and we had one lady and her daughter and her daughter come. That was it from the community. We had given out thousands of flyers, and all of my team, who were on the next page, by the way, down there at the bottom, this is uh, the team that helped start Axis Church back then. They all looked at me like, we are a colossal failure. This is the worst church ever. In fact, we had a magician that day. He said, do you want me to do my show once, and I'll just do it once, and then I'll go. I could do a longer show, or I could do a shorter show and do it multiple times. And in my mind, I'm thinking, we're going to have thousands of people there, at least hundreds so because of that, you do your little show, and then do it again, and then do it again. We'll do it throughout the day. It was, you know who was there? Our kids. That was it. Those kids in that picture, they kept going to the show. And by the third time around, like, I know what you're going to do. I know what you're going to do. They were so smart alecky. And we thought, this is the worst church ever. It wasn't uh, a few years after that that I met with our church staff because we realized this idea of creating environments that are intentional where we're building relationships and we're making disciples is a very difficult task. And so on the whiteboard in a staff meeting, on one side of the page, I wrote, uh, I wrote, let's just become a church about the experience and about the event. And I said, it'd be so much easier. We could pour all of our resources into the weekend experience. It'll be the best in our city. We'll draw a lot of people to it, and it'll be amazing, and we'll put all of our effort on that. It'll be like the Super Bowl, man. Every Sunday will be like the Super Bowl. Or we could continue to do what we're doing, and we could build relationships with people, and we could do the hard work of trying to forge this. And I was like, I personally would like to vote for doing the event. And it was like a, a mob scene. I mean, they were like ready to a, attack me for this idea. And I was like, I'm just kidding. I don't really want to do that. I just wanted to make sure you guys were still invested in this. And so what I'm saying is that when we talk about what is the way of Jesus, what was the way of Jesus? He was about building disciples. He often deflected the crowds. Now, what is a disciple? You could say it's a learner or apprentice or a Christian. Jim Putman writes, the definition of disciple is in the invitation. Mark chapter 1 it says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left, they left their nets and they followed him. Immediately. This idea of the invitation of Jesus, asking them to be his disciples, is really the heart of Acts' church. We believe that a disciple is someone who chooses to follow Jesus is changed by Jesus in community with others, and is on mission with Jesus. And, and you just take that verse, Jesus said, it, come follow me. That's the idea of someone who chooses to follow Jesus, and I will make you. In other words, I will change you. I will not just change one of you, I'll change all of you. So we believe that you're changed by Jesus in community with others, and you're on mission with Jesus. And he said, go make disciples. He says, go become fishers of men. 
So at Axis, we express this in a logo, actually, and the way that we see this is kind of like a person, and I often draw a little head up there at the top, kind of looks like feet and arms, and this sort of expresses who we are. I learned at a recent starting point class, Claire, who is engaged to be married to your student pastor, Andrew, mentioned in that class, she said, did you know that on our second date, Andrew pulled out a piece of paper and drew me that logo. He's just so excited about it. And I'm like, that's the moment they fell in love right there. He drew it out. They're like, man, she just, she's like, wow, this is amazing. And uh, he's like, yeah, I share it with all kinds of people, you know. And what we see here is the cross is in the middle. And what we're saying is that that's really the heart of the matter. That's the individual that's revolving their life around Jesus. Jesus is the center point of their life. On the bottom, you see the feet, which is the foundation. It says, exploring faith in God. And that's not a one-time event. That's a lifetime event. This isn't just coming to know Jesus once, and that's it. This is all of us saying, we want to continue to know God. We want to grow in that relationship. The heart of the matter is the middle, which is that we, have a, 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 we are experiencing a vital relationship with God. And we are experiencing those life-changing relationships with other people. And then finally, those outstretched arms, which represent expressing the love of God to the world. And what I'm going to do today, just for a few minutes, is I'm going to share that with you, but I'm just going to repackage it with a little bit different language, because sometimes we hear the same thing, and it becomes old school. So we're just going to give you a little bit new language today. And the first one is exploring faith in God. We want everybody to know that the way of Jesus is that we would help people find and follow him. We want to help people find and follow Jesus. Every person who's a disciple of Jesus is concerned about that. Every person who's a disciple of Jesus will do what it says in Deuteronomy 4.29. But if from there you seek the Lord, your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and all your soul. God is not mysterious. He's like Jesus wants to be found by you. But he wants you to also make the effort to seek the Lord, your God. And all of us should be asking that question. How is my relationship with God? Is it growing? Is it stagnant? Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 should be our theme. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That should be the thing that motivates us. I want to know Christ more. I want to grow in him more. And so every disciple of Jesus is committed to growing in their relationship with God. And that is why around here we always look for creating opportunities for people to connect in a vital relationship with Jesus. That the thrust of uh, one of the filters that we have and the thrust of all of our major opportunities is that we would say we want to help people find and follow Jesus. And we want to make that as user-friendly as possible and that drives so much of what we do here. It's the reason that we do what we do on the weekend so that you might have one more avenue to help yourself find and follow Jesus. The second thing we do is that we form life-changing, authentic relationships with Jesus and others. We call it experiencing relationships with God and others. But when you're forming that life-changing relationship, you're locking arm-in-arm with other people, and you're saying, I love you so much, I'm delighted to be with you in this journey. That's what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you. Not only the gospel, not only the good news of Jesus, but our lives as well because you have become so dear to us. Every disciple of Jesus realizes that our faith is personal, but it's not private. You're you're together in this thing. And Jesus was like, I want to make you, I want to change you, all of you, in community with each other. 
One of the things that I've been doing this summer after uh, COVID and after all the isolation is I have been very privately enjoying some things, some moments uh, with you all, and you didn't even know it. Uh, I have been to several gatherings of people at Access Church, and it might be a wedding, or it might be a graduation party, or it might be a send-off party, or it might be a young adult gathering, or it might be in a, uh, something with our kids here. And I have been watching just kind of, and, and I have just taken, I don't know if it was because we've been isolated for a long time or what, or because when you're on this journey for the last 12 years like we've been, sometimes you're wondering, you look for those really positive things, you know? And here's what I've been seeing. And this is private enjoyment I've been taking. And that is that I've been watching these groups of people, and in my mind I'm thinking, this group of people would never have been together except for 12 years ago Access Church was started. And that has been such a, uh, like a filling thing and a fueling thing for me because I'm seeing families and their kids are growing up together and they're loving on each other and they're enjoying each other and these are their best friends and they just enjoy it so much. And then I see other people and their relationships are being built and people are being changed. And, and it's been so good because I am seeing before my eyes this value where life-changing authentic relationships are happening and those people are becoming more and more like Christ. It's been so, so good. And the last thing is that we would express the love of God to the world. In other words, fulfill the mission of Jesus. And you say, well, what is the mission of Jesus? I think Jesus captured it well in Mark chapter 12. Where he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the mission of Jesus captured in the two greatest commandments, love God and love people. We might say, explore faith in God and experience relationships with people, but it's really the same idea. And the idea is that now you would not just find and follow Jesus, you would help other people find and follow Jesus. And not just that. You wouldn't just experience relationships personally. You would be also helping other people form life-changing relationships. That's the mission of Jesus. Jesus said it in Matthew 28 that you would go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always. His call to us as a church is that we would be growing our relationship with Him we'd be loving other people, and that we would be fun on this fundamental mission to help other people do the same. I love Galatians 5, 6. It's one of my favorite verses. It is that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Faith, your faith, growing in your faith in God, that now you're expressing that to other people. And so this call has become our mission. It's always been our mission. And in a lot of ways, it has worked. In the lives of individual people, it has been happening as we're now watching the next generation and the next generation where they are now multiplying discipleship within their relationships. But it is challenging. But friends, one thing that we don't do, we do not relegate church to an event or to a place because when you do that, it loses effectiveness. And there are great events out there today. You could go to any number of them. But why do you choose to be here? Because there's just something good about saying, let's do what Jesus did. Um, I love what Matt Smay in his book, The Tangible Kingdom, wrote. He said, as I once heard, doing church differently is like rearranging chairs on the Titanic. We must realize that slight tweaks, new music, creative lighting, wearing hula shirts, 
shorts and flip-flops, even though they're good, won't make doing church more effective. Church must not be the goal of the gospel anymore. Church should not be the focus of our efforts like a banner we hold up to explain what we're about. Church should be what ends up happening as the natural response to people wanting to follow Jesus or to follow us, be with us, and be like us as we're following Christ. We're not an event. We're not a place. We are a group of people that are absolutely dedicated to the mission of God. In a lot of ways, we're exactly what Jesus said. We are the body of Christ on the earth, his tangible representation, his hands, his feet, and we are the bride of Christ. I was at a very beautiful wedding the other day, and uh, Maddie and Luke, Maddie's mom and grandma's here today, but uh, they were there, and they're both smart, brilliant people, engineers, you know, they probably don't have any emotion at all, you know, but then dad's coming down, and he's crying, he's an attorney, he, does, he probably doesn't have any emotion either, but he does, and he's crying, and Maddie's crying, and Luke is crying, and I start crying, I'm like, why am I crying? It's not even my kid, you know, but it's so beautiful, that moment where two people who love each other, and who are both committed to Christ, say, I do. Francis Chan told several years ago about a wedding that he was at, uh, about a lady named Jean Palfrey. She was a lady in his church, and, and he, she was so joyful all the time. But then she went through a terrible tragedy, but she stayed joyful. He had the privilege of doing her new wedding, and it was really special. Jean had a daughter who was 28, but was mentally disabled, so she had the mind of a six-year-old, and she was the flower girl. And so Jean, who has always been so filled with so much joy, was just beaming because there was this man who had now come into her life. And she was saying during premarital counseling how she just looked at him and said, Are you sure? Are you sure you want to marry me? Look at me. I'm old. I'm all wrinkly. He said to her, Oh, no, those are like dimples to me. You're beautiful. She said, I just can't believe how he keeps telling me how beautiful I am. Are you sure? Are you sure? What about my daughter? You don't want to take all this on. That's difficult. Here they are the day of the wedding. Everything's so beautiful, so wonderful, so perfect. The middle of the ceremony, though, there was a surprise. After giving the rings and the vows, there was this special moment where the minister said, Hey, Rick also has bought a ring for April, Jean's daughter, because he wants her to know that he's taking her also as his very own. And when April hears that, this six-year-old and a 28-year-old body... She screams. She runs up the stairs crying. Picture this. And she comes up and she hugs Rick and she just keeps saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Tears are just streaming down her face. Everybody is bawling because her emotion was so real. She just could not believe that he was making a commitment to her too. And he placed the ring on her finger and the whole place was just crying. And, and he saw the opportunity to teach Everybody, use this as a teachable moment. Here's what he said. Do you guys understand what just took place here? I don't think you will ever see a more clear picture of this book, the Bible, than you just saw right here. The Bible says that God looks at us as his bride. Are you sure you want me? And he's saying, are you kidding? You're beautiful. That's the picture of us, right? Because there are some of you today who are saying, God, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand the mess I've made in my life. I'm surprised this place is even still standing, that I'm here. And yet the God of the universe says, I want you. And the Bible uses the term, you are the bride of Christ. You are chosen by him. But not only that, 
the Bible uses another analogy, and that is of a father to the fatherless and how he adopts us as his children. And you and I should also be like April this morning and saying, are you kidding me? No way. I love you. I love you. I love you. I can't believe you're adopting me. You're taking me as your child, me? I mean, do you come here with that kind of emotion, with that kind of awe when you wake up in the morning and say, God, I cannot believe this. You love me. I'm your bride. I'm your child. You're adopting me? So when we relegate the church to an event or we relegate it to simply a place or a checkoff list, you say, well, I've done that. I've, I've showed up for an hour. Or if you evaluate it like an event, you have missed the beauty of the relationship. Because it's not about a checklist, it's not about a regulation, it's not about a to-do, it's not about a to-don't, it's about the fact that the God of the universe chose you as his bride and as his child. And so as his people, we just simply say, God, we want to follow your way. We want to do what you do. We want to be who you are. We want to experience what you want us to experience. And then we're not only going to go that way, we're going to help show that way to other people. And that is the heart of who we are as a church. That's who we have always been. That is who we will always be. And all of you now know, if you didn't already know, what you're a part of. You're a part of a community of people that is not so much worried about being the greatest show in our state or in our country or even in our city. We're about having an opportunity to come together to worship the almighty God of the universe who chose us despite ourselves. And to that end, I want to pray for you today. God, thank you for inviting us to be part of your family. We're not worthy, but you chose us anyway. You've accepted us as your own. And today, God, our response is just to say, God, will you forgive us for the times that we have made church about a place to attend or an event to go to. Help us to remember, God, that we're here to be your disciples, people who find and follow Jesus, people who who form relationships with others so that then we can fulfill the mission of God. That's what you call us to. So God, to that end, you would just pray for your strength, your power, and your endurance as we celebrate over the next three weeks, God, how you're working in the lives of real people. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, guys, there's not a worship song here at the end today. It's more just an invitation. Next Sunday, we are going to be going to the river right after second hour, and I've already heard from several of you that you're going to take that occasion to be baptized into Christ. And so if you want to be baptized, please let me know after worship or let them know at the Connect area and write on a card, I'd like to be baptized. Bring a towel, bring some water shoes if you'd like, bring some dark shorts and a dark t-shirt, and we will have directions for you next week, both in this campus and the Middletown campus, and we will be going to the river, and we're going to have a baptism celebration next weekend so that if you haven't already started your relationship with Jesus, you can start next week. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great week.